Hello and welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I am Nomi Key Konst and there are 70 days until the inauguration. Joe Biden is right to press ahead with the transition despite Donald Trump's ugly resistance. But is Joe Biden pressing ahead with the right transition? These next few weeks will lay the groundwork for the government the Biden administration will be. He says many of the right things. He says them. But will his 2,400 political appointees do the right things? It is early days, uh, but already the transition teams raise real worries. Technocrats and neoliberals keep popping up like bad pennies. And one of the worst looks, looks are that Uber and other gig apps seeded through the transition teams. I thought we as Democrats had made a choice against these exploitative firms. What was that boycott all about right after Trump was elected? If they can just slip right back in through that transition. This is like putting Betsy DeVos in charge of charter schools. The verdict is in. These are exploitative companies. Someone asked me if this was the transition to the third term of the Obama, Obama administration, but I actually don't think that's it. I think this is Kamala Harris. Remember her brother-in-law, Tony West, and her niece, Mina Harris, both worked for Uber, very high up. And she, of course, was fully supported by Silicon Valley. Joe Biden, Joe, it's great that you will have a woman of color in the room with you, but don't hand over the keys just yet to the office. Let's start, though, at the heart of the matter. The labor transition team. Seth Harris briefly ran the labor department at the end of the Obama administration, you may recall. Then he went off to go work for Denton, a giant law firm that represents the corporate side in labor issues and influencing government. Let me read you one little sentence from their website. Quote, the shifting tension between private sector commerce and government oversight of private enterprise is a real threat, no matter your geography or your business. And in this high stakes arena, you require a coordinated approach to anticipate, translate and influence legislative and regulatory developments, end quote. Not exactly a people's approach to open government. Sounds frighteningly, frighteningly uh, like Ronald Reagan when he said, government is the problem. Now, Seth Harris is a major expert on labor law, covering gig workers. But while he was at Denton, he wrote a big paper for a group called the um, Hamilton Project, a Rob, Bob Rubin front group. You remember Bob Rubin of Goldman Sachs and Citibank, right? He was probably more than any other human being, the person who paved the way to the 2008 crash. The, the Seth Harris paper that he wrote calls for the creation of a new category of worker, not an employee and not an independent, something kind of in between. Denton said this would better protect workers while enhancing, quote, the efficiency of the operation of the labor market, end quote. Efficiency is the last refuge of neoliberal exploiters. Within days, the AFL-CIO blew holes in that plan, in that paper, big enough to drive an Uber XL SUV right through. The point today isn't what we need to do for workers in the gig economy, although God knows that that is a huge issue we do have to address. The point today is we need to keep these corporate revolvers out of the Biden transition and the Biden government. Seth Harris has been mentioned as a potential labor secretary in this era, 
as the economy is in a free fall, as gig workers have organized and built movements around the world, as taxi drivers are blockading the streets and bridges of New York, as taxi driver suicides are at epidemic levels, as Prop 22 is set to ravage California, leading a model for other states, as those on the front lines of COVID are putting their lives at risk without proper employment protections. Out of touch? Absolutely. Cruel? Ruthlessly so. How about making an Uber driver labor secretary instead of an Uber shill? Now, if Bernie really wants to be labor secretary, he must believe he can make something happen in the administration. At least he could keep Seth Harris from happening, possibly. But Seth Harris is not the only one. Lyft, Airbnb, and Amazon all have staffers on the transition team for the Office of Management and Budget, the government's control center. And Matt Olson is Uber's chief security officer. Security, security, protecting women from potential harassment or worse while in vehicles? No, 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 no. That's not that type of security. No, no, no. He is on the Intelligence Community Transition Task Force. I'm sure he will feel at home in those meetings. There are also two folks from Disney on that task force, as well as a litany of Madeleine Albright and Stanley McChrystal followers eager to do their part to make the world's supply chain safe for corporate America. Or at least that's what they're claiming they're concerned about. Uh huh. Beyond being politically unacceptable, it seems just really tasteless to put exploitative companies running the transition, especially right now, when so many working people are feeling such pain Mr. President-elect, you said you were going to build back better. Look to history. You even mentioned unions, protecting workers. That's what helped us build back after previous crises, not technocrats exploiting already hurting and in crises working people. Think unions first. Think, Think workers first. That's what needs to be on your mind right now. Not these shills for big tech. This is a dangerous game we're playing, and it's absolutely important and a big effing deal, as you like to say, to make sure that you are protecting workers right now. All right, we have a terrific show today. We have Salvador Tio, uh, who is on to discuss the Puerto Rican statehood vote that happened last week. What is it? What does it mean? Was it a real vote? There's been a lot of controversy. And then later, Jordan Zacharin is on to talk about today's big stories, and there are a lot. All right, we will be right back with Salvador. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. Have you smashed that like button yet? Have you hit that little, uh, that bell, that with the dingy bell thing? So that's how you're going to know when I go live late at night, when something crazy happens. I say this every show, but let me tell you, you never know. Sometimes I feel motivated. Uh, we're also putting up like these extensive interviews. Uh, we're going to be doing one this week on Armenia uh, because there's just so much happening in Armenia and it's been happening in the midst of an election cycle that's been crazy. So what we're going to try to do in the next few weeks is, is catch up on some of the international national stuff, uh, some of the big stories that were, were, were not at the top of the election cycle, like, for instance, uh, what happened in Puerto Rico. I am so honored to have a, a good friend, Salvador Tio. Um, you are on mute, Salvador, just to give you a heads up. Um, there you are. 
Perfect. Okay. Now I am not on mute. Now you are not on mute. Not on mute. <laughs> so a uh, little backstory here. When I was at the Young Turks at TYT, I spent a good chunk of, what was that, 2018? Uh, 2017 and 18. 17 and 18, yes. That after was the storm. Ma Maria, after Maria. After yes. Maria. And I was uh, on the island reporting and, and getting, hopefully we'll be able to turn that footage into something very soon. Uh, but... Just on not just the, the the disaster, but the disaster capitalism and the colonialism um, that has existed on the island uh, for so long. And I learned uh, almost everything from Salvador. Uh, Salvador is a, he is an attorney. Uh, he was the former head of the New York ACLU. Uh, he is a longtime independence supporter. Uh, I believe since what do we have here? Since 1964, the, a member of the independence movement. Well, I joined. I joined an organization because I remember being for independence when I was six. Oh, right. I know this story. Yes, because you saw. Right, right I remember this story. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit. Um, there's a. I would love to have you on more often to talk more about the history of the island. And, mm -hmm. but let's discuss specifically the statehood vote because. If you're listening to the Democrats in the party on, on the mainland, and even some progressive Democrats, you would think that statehood is, a, is something that, uh, that the left on the island identifies with. But when you go on the island, it, it, it seems to be just the opposite. Um, and then, you know, I learned through you sort of the process of how that all happened. Um, but can we, can we talk about, like, who has traditionally supported statehood and why? Well, statehood was supported initially by the so-called then Republican Party. It was the statehood Republican Party. Initially, it was the Autonomist Party. But the Autonomist Party was more in support of autonomy, of what is now called Estado Libre Asociado, which is some type of a relationship with the United States. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about 1898, 99, early on in the game after the invasion. Right. Uh, it became clear then that uh, Jose Celso Barbosa, who was one of the leaders of that party, sort of, he was the main leader of the statehood, what was the statehood forces. They understood that the only way to be equal within the context of that relationship was to, to be a state. Mm -hmm. But uh, statehood really has not, never been a majority movement in Puerto Rico. And in fact, this 52% that they obtained now from power trying to distract the attention from other issues and trying to get support for statehood. Well, people, yes, I would like to be a state, but statehood has never been offered to Puerto Rico. Uh, the United States has never indicated what would be the steps to carry it out. What would be the minimum requirement? Normally it would be 66%. So we are not talking about just an, a, a territory. We're talking about a non-incorporated territory of the United States. We're talking about a, a nation. Puerto Rico fought for its independence in 1868 together with Cuba. Uh, the Grito de Lares uprising was suffocated immediately. But some of the Puerto Ricans who wanted independence from Puerto Rico went to fight for the independence of Cuba in 68, and then thereafter in 95 with Jose Martí. Uh, some of them died there. Some of them became generals, mm. like uh, Juan Rios Rivera. Uh, it was too late. I think the United States recognized that, and that's why they established a distinction. We were not an incorporated territory. So what does incorporated territory mean? 
those that are going to become states. So like an example would be unincorporated is not to be you are not going to, to become a state. I mean, that okay. was that distinction was dealt with by the U.S. Supreme Court. also in the so-called insular cases, Towns versus Bidwell being, mm -hmm. I think, the main one. And in that uh, they justify, I mean, they justify having Puerto Rico being a territory of the United States, but not having any rights to participate. So it's a colony but they didn't want to call it a colony. So they call it an unincorporated territory. And such is the language of politics, always trying to, to, be, to be leaders of the occult. <laughs> Something is not very clear. So, so in the state where has never been a majority in Puerto Rico, it is now more or less, half, half of the population more or less could be supporting it now, but they do not realize what it really entails. If, number one, The United States has never offered statehood to Puerto Rico. Why is that the case? Well, because we're a different nation. We are a different culture. Now, it might be that Puerto Ricans residing in the United States ultimately after two, three generations will become American who are descendants of Puerto Ricans. Mm -hmm. But it's, it is interesting, however, that Puerto Ricans of all the groups there, Cubans and Dominicans included, Maybe the Dominicans are more like us. But the Cubans in exile, they, oh, yeah. they are not for, they, you know their problem. Yeah. But we have never, we have always felt that it was crucial for us to maintain our identity. That is why after three generations in the United States, many still speaking, speak Spanish mm -hmm. and, are, and, be, and, and identify themselves as Puerto Ricans. Now, obviously, Latin Americans, Puerto Ricans included, played a very significant role in the victory, in this electoral victory now. Biden's victory. Because la, and the women also, uh, women of color and, and Puerto Rican women played a very significant role. That's why it went up so high, because you had never obtained 77 million, um, I mean, or 80-some million votes for, uh, just for one party. I mean, it, 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 both parties grew. Yes. Uh, so we are we are not really part of that. Uh, most of the people in Puerto Rico do not speak uh, do not speak um, English. That's my wife calling, but I'm not going to <laughs> say hi to her. Uh, Your wife is also an elected uh, official on the island, which is important. <laughs> not a bad well, person to, to she, call. Now she's on. Uh, okay, now is she's on speakerphone right now? But I'm uh, okay. Uh, 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 <laughs> She's on the southern part of the island working today. She was a candidate yes. for the Independence Party for San Juan. Her sister, Maria de Lourdes, was the one who garnered more, more votes, 130-some thousand votes for the Senate. So the Independence Party only had two. There's a new movement in Puerto Rico called Movimiento de Victoria Ciudadana. Uh, they have, uh, many of them are people from in, who come from the independence movement, but they decided not to identify themselves with any solu particular solution of status, although a lot of the leadership is. But they, for example, postulated, and they had the candidate for resident commissioner was for statehood. So they want to include within their group people who are first. They are not a status-defined uh, party. Right. 
we so, are. So that's so when you say status defined party, just so folks understand that it, it's the parties, the majority of the parties traditionally on the island have not been like Democrat versus Republican. Mm-hmm. They're basically it, it, it's it's based on whatever they want the island to be. Do you want the island to be autonomous? Do you want it to be independent? Mm-hmm. Do you want to mm-hmm. want it to be a state of the United States? Um, so, so I, I want to talk about sort of like legitimacy of these mm-hmm. these statehood votes because there have been previous statehood votes that have passed, right? But then when you start to learn a little bit more about well, who was voting and how was the vote conducted, and you know, then you start to get into territory where like were there actual is this a sanctioned vote? I don't know. So I can, can you explain how that how that well, worked in the past? It gets involved with the local politics of who's going to win the election. The okay. party that was in power is the statehood party. Right. Called, which no longer calls itself statehood party. It's the Partido Nuevo Progresista. That's since the 60s when it was founded. But it was really a continuation of the old uh, Republican statehood party because they were, I mean, Republicans of the of the Abraham Lincoln ilk mm-hmm. uh, because that's what they, they felt inspired. The people who supported statehood felt that Puerto Rico could be part of that. Uh, but we really, in, in 122 years have gone by, and todavía seguimos hablando español como nuestro primer idioma. We're still speaking Spanish as our first language. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people who speak very good English are either who went to relatively private schools or who lived in the States for a while. Uh, the majority of the people can more or less understand, understand English, but they are not completely fluent. This party wanted to distract away from the many problems of which have plagued plagued them. And they wanted to incorporate a sort of a a popularity contest with no real significance or implication because the the question is what has to occur before a true process of decolonization uh, takes place? Well, it is not simply because the party in power decides let us see how we are right now and, and how that helps us win. Mm-hmm. No, it is a serious thing, which uh, the main, uh, we, as we say, let the mute man speak. The mute man is Uncle Sam. They have never said that they would grant it. They have never indicated what would be the conditions. The first thing that would happen is that we would become an incorporated territory, which means we start paying federal taxes. Well, you're already paying taxes on both sides. It's, I mean, there's the other but, side of this where you have the Jones Act, which is making the island extraordinary. I mean, it's, it's like New York prices, to put this in perspective. Okay. You're, you're, you're right. We are, it's not direct income tax, right. but we're paying high levies because yes. we are forced to use. We cannot bring things directly from the Dominican Republic here unless it's contraband. We have to, it, it has to go through Jacksonville, Florida, and then it has to be on U.S. merchant marine ships, ships, which are more expensive. It's something that also the labor unions in the United States support because it means more jobs for the, for the labor unions. So that's an area where obviously it's difficult to join forces with the labor movement in support of the fact that we do away with it. Mind mm-hmm. you, Puerto Rico doesn't, cannot have any relations with Cuba. A Dominican who wants to come to Puerto Rico, we do not, ad- the United States admits him. So we so, have so, been so, segregated. And part of the, I remember we you telling me We need to be this. joined. 
in the Caribbean, I mean, there, there's just been such a conscious effort to, over the last, you know, 200 years, 150 years, to separate all of these, these islands, right? Yes, and and yes. I know Carmen Julian Cruz, um, uh, the, the, she was the mayor of San Juan. Past mayor yeah. of San Juan. Well, she still is mayor. She still is mayor. She lost the election. Until, but she's right. Right. Because she ran for, for governor. Um, mm -hmm. But she, you know, she would always talk about a unified Caribbean, like a, a group of, 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 of Caribbean nations to be able to work with each other. But instead, they have to go through these complicated systems where, you know, I, there, there are many people on the island of Puerto Rico who I thought I, it was amazing to hear that they were Cuban, uh, working class Cuban, many, mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm sure not all, but they, you know, they couldn't go home to see their family. And like, it's it's there's just everybody's separated and you know divide and conquer i guess is the best way of saying it um, and it is obviously done purposely now obviously it was the, the the direct result of the fact that it although the dominican republic uh was first conquered or invaded by the spanish when they arrived then the french took over part of the territory and then they had a haiti uh there is a lot of difficulties between Haiti and, and the Dominican Republic. In fact, yeah. the, the independence of the Dominican Republic was the overthrow of the invasion that the Haitians have made into Dominican territory. So there's a lot of tension there and other issues that I don't want to get into regarding that. Cuba and Puerto Rico have always, there's a poem written by a, a, one of uh, Alola Rodriguez de Tio, who was part of the Larry's Uprising in 1868. It's a, it's a canto a Cuba. It's a, the, he's chanting to Cuba. She, where, she died in Cuba, in fact. Mm. She's buried there uh, because she had to leave Puerto Rico after the Larry's Uprising. She says... The Larry's uh, Uprising was an independence uprising, just to it, clarify. Yes, in 18, yes. 1868. Yes. Cuba and Puerto Rico are of one bird, two wings of one bird. They receive flowers and bullets in the same height. Mm. Puerto Rico, son de that's a poem that everybody knows. I mean, that fragment of the poem, it really means that, that there is and has been and will be a very profound v bond between Cubans and Puerto Ricans. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there's a large Cuban community in Puerto Rico, not as large as the Miami uh, community. But in the case of Puerto Rico, they became... I mean, they mingled perfectly because yeah. it is it was almost transparent. We are very much alike. Uh, my father used to say that uh, that a Puerto Rican was a sad Cuban because the Cubans <laughs> were very up. <laughs> <laughs> because we were sadder. We were a lot sadder in the 1940s. Puerto yeah, Rico well, was you know, the house. U.S. stripped the the island of its land and its its ability to produce um, fruits and vegetables. And of course, you know, I think Puerto Rico has the best coffee in the world. And I mean, it's been um, it, it, it was a strategy to defeat the island's ability mm -hmm. to be self sufficient and to make sure that things come yeah. through the U.S. Mm -hmm. it's, I can understand why. You see, You're sadder people. <laughs> uh, geopolitics has you don't have socialism either. <laughs> geopolitics has played such a significant role. Why did they want to keep Puerto Rico? Uh, and how did FDR get the Congress to appropriate money in 1939 to build Roosevelt Roads and establish the Roosevelt Roads is a is a um is a former uh, base was until until was, the, the early 20th 21st century mm -hmm. uh, early 21st century okay. i was arrested there in 1979 for with with 21 with we were 21 were uh, and then a lot of other people 1999 went, right no no 1979 1999 first, it started again it was the first 
Okay, so let's clarify because people, this is getting confusing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Roosevelt Roads is is a is a is a base. Um, it is no longer existing. Because... It's no longer in existence, although it's still the property of the United States. And I've been there, uh, and it's very eerie. Uh, uh, now, the, the reason why did why is it? Well, because the how did Roosevelt get the Congress to appropriate money in 1938-39 when he was saying that we're not going to go to war against Germany or in Europe? Mm-hmm. Well, they played, they sent William Leahy to Puerto Rico. Leahy was one, a top general, a top admiral of the U.S. Navy, a real patriot, American patriot. He came here and uh, they expropriated the land in Vieques. Why? How did they give him the money? Well, they had a war game, which was played in Vieques in 1939, mm-hmm. where they, the scenario was that... Vieques the, is the island that is right off, off, right off of Puerto the, Rico. Uh, right. Yes, right off the coastline. Right. The people... The German Navy was anchored in the northern part of Brazil, and they make a move to take over the Panama Canal. Hmm. The, the U.S. Navy was then in Norfolk, Virginia. Mm-hmm. The end result of the war games was that they lost the canal. Now, nothing had, it was very clear for Americans ever since the 1898 and the William Randolph Hearst following of the Oregon that left Oregon and went all over to the southern part of Patagonia to come up to Cuba, Mm -hmm. that the Panama Canal was something that the Americans needed. They had not been able to finish it because of the mosquitoes, but they didn't find out that it was the mosquitoes until they went to Cuba and realized because there was a guy there called Carlos Finlay, a doctor, who said that it was a mosquito. Mm. So Walter Reed and Bailey Ashford, who were the two men guys uh, in the medical Corps that came to Puerto Rico and to Cuba first, uh, started developing what ultimately became the School of Tropical Medicine in Puerto Rico in order to develop the protocols to be able to continue the canal, which they started continuing doing in 1903. Now, mind you, the United States was the only Navy that could have easy access to the Pacific and the Atlantic. So how were you going to be winning the Second World right. War against? Uh, so I mean, they were. You have to grant geopolitically. It. Geopolitically, Puerto Rico was always in a very specific and important uh, position. But it today, was closer. It was closer also to the to the Atlantic, and a lot of submarines right. left Puerto Rico to defend the ships that were going to 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 supply England in order to be able to resist the Germans. I mean, I can realize that, and I can understand why the United States would want to do that. But, okay, uh, so today, though, I mean, it's not. The, the base is shut down, uh, you know, there, after a, a, a bomb hit, or a, what was it? It was, it, was, it was a bomb, right? Hit a guard at... The, no, but no, Vieques. that was Vieques. That was, was Vieques. Vieques. No, that, that was not okay, the reason okay. why. Well, no, no. They, they shut down. They that, shut yeah, down. There, was a bo- there was a bomb that killed a guy in Vieques, not on Roswell Road. But they shut down there was at the same time, right? Light. But the reality was that it is not as necessary anymore. Because That's now that. you have a different... Exactly. Now so, they so now- have... Now they have their own, they have, Colombia is theirs. El Salvador is theirs. Nicaragua right. is, uh, they have armies there. They have, yeah. they have, so they don't need to have the, the same kind of defense. And, the Pan, and they invited Panama in 1989 in order to be able to have assert control clearly over the canal. And they took Torrijos out. 
because Torrijos wasn't willing to play ball with Poindexter to send them to send them the heroin and the cocaine, more the, the cocaine that was going to be used to fight Iran Contra because the Congress would not have given money for that. And that was the Bush. I mean, right. so, so, wait, so, wait, so, so let's just be to, to, to get back to the statehood for a second. So um, we, the, the, the island is no longer needed for geopolitical purposes. Um, it's, it's. I don't think so. In the same way, no. The population of of the island is is very large. Although I don't know what the current state is with. It's, it's, it has gone down. It has gone yeah, down. We used to be closer to four, and now we are close to three. We had three million. Because more, of the there, there are more Puerto Ricans residing in the continental United States than Puerto Rico right now. There's more than about five million. So five uh, million. And then in the meantime, since before the storm, but after the storm, you've had billionaires uh, and millionaires take over the island, buy up properties, um, take over you know small companies. They have their own little mm-hmm. goals to create their libertarian paradise and, and on the island. But the, the the question that I have is mm-hmm. okay. So statehood, other than for you know maybe an extra Senate seat, which is not necessarily guaranteed because there are conservatives on the island that might. I mean, you're 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 a non-acting congressperson. Um, Once you become a state, then you have was, to secede. Was Republican, and you know what happened to the southern states when they tried to do that. When you well, come into the United States, uh, yeah. you're not going to be leaving. Uh, I don't see it in the cards. I don't see Puerto Rico within the next two generations. Okay, so so the vote was approved, though. In fact, what happened? What happened in this election was that independence forces uh, increased, and the, oh, interesting. Uh, so okay, so so this is let's. You've had previous votes; they were not properly conducted, um, meaning uh, votes for statehood, and so they were not acknowledged by. Well, the this UN was not properly or... conducted either. Uh, those so explain, were what does that mean? Popular... What does that mean? Well, you, you really, if you're going to decolonize, mm-hmm. you have to first, if you, and you're going to be asking people to vote for something, mm-hmm. they have a right to be told by the, by the power that holds power in Puerto Rico, under what conditions will that happen? How many, what percentage? are we expecting you to be able to get? What's going to be the main language? Mm. Uh, How long will it take? Because it's, as I said before, if it's maybe it's going to take 10, 12, 15 years. So we're Mm -hmm. paying federal taxes in the meantime, and we are unincorporated. Federal income taxes, then we would pay. We are exempt from paying, we pay our own taxes here. So why do and they that, want statehood then? I don't understand. I, 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 if it's, if it's well, not they, something, they, they, if they're not going to get a Senate seat, if they're not, like, what's the point? I mean, you're already well, punishing. They feel the more secure. Well, you know, the U.S. military, there's a lot of Puerto Ricans in the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. The size of the federal government in Puerto Rico, food stamps, uh, Medicare. They, but they already receive uh, all of these things without being a state. Yes, but not in the same level in which they would receive some of them. We do get, uh, as we don't get SSI in Puerto okay. Rico. In fact, I brought a case challenging the exclusion of Puerto Rico from SSI, uh, 1978. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I, we lost. In the, we won here. A three-judge court declared it unconstitutional in violation. Recently, another case it's different in the sense that they were making arguments that we didn't want to make then because we didn't think they would prevail. So I, uh, I basically hung my hat on the right to travel argument rather than 
unequal protection argument. But I didn't attack the whole question of the, of the colonies, of the colony, and made it to a bigger political issue because I thought that in 1978, when I did that, things were not ready for the court to resolve that in favor. And I was ultimately a lawyer for a guy who had been denied SSI, had been given SSI in Connecticut because it was a migrant worker. I used to work for a migrant worker, for a migrant worker. Came to Puerto Rico, and then he gets a letter saying that he's going to lose it because he moved in here. Interesting. Uh, so, I mean, this is a perfect uh, example of how yeah. you lose rights by being on the island Yes. When you're a state yeah. or not a state. So, yeah. okay. So this, so you don't see this going anywhere. This is just some sort of performative vote. Um, if it does go anywhere, it's going to take a very and long I, time. And I think that the, that the American intelligentsia and the people in the early part of the 20th century, and I have a very high regard for the capacities of some of those guys and women mm-hmm. also, realized that Puerto Rico was not as you could not really assimilate it. This had a million people in Puerto Rico had a million people, nine hundred and sixty some thousand people in eighteen ninety eight. Cuba had one point five, mm. and it's and it's thirteen times bigger than Puerto Rico. Now it had had four point five. It lost three million because of the war. Of course. Uh, so it was so densely populated. Isolated towns, each one with its own the very defined culture. You, I mean, this was a country. This was a nation. It was too late. Yeah. If you had arrived in the 18th century, maybe. But Puerto Rico's San Juan turns out to be 500 years old. Now in April, we're going to celebrate the 500th anniversary of San, of San Juan, which was founded in 1521. Mm-hmm. So we've been around. By the time the Americans came here, we already were a country. You, you'd been occupied by, by um, Spain and, and yeah. Uh, uh, and then, but then we had the wrong, our own mixture there because we have Taino population, which is more present Natives. than people think. Indigenous. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and even culturally, and in, in, in more than, I've been reading about that uh, and, and listening to some people who have studied that very carefully. And I was very impressed by what they mm-hmm. have been able to. Salvador, we have to wrap up real quick. We have to wrap up. African people. Yeah. Right. We have to wrap it up. Okay. We have to wrap up. But, but I okay, wanted so to say African. We have a large, we had a large African population. Also. You do. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fascinating history, and I think we can talk more. I mean, there's, we could talk about the forced hysterectomies on women. We could talk about the pharmaceutical industry on the island and how they were testing Puerto Ricans. It was written out. There were people being sent on behalf of FDR uh, to oversee this. It's, it, it was, it, it's just a tragedy. And, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, look, at Salvador froze up just as this, <laughs> just as we wrapped up. But Salvador Tio, if you can see if, on my end, um, you're frozen on screen. I think the, the signal died out. But a fascinating history of, of Puerto Rico. We'd love to have you back on. Maybe we can talk about some of these other things as well. All right. We will be right back with Jordan uh, Zacharin to talk about today's news. Um, give us one second. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. Make sure to smash that like button. And if you are not already, please join us on patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show for as low as five bucks a month, $5 a month. 
I know it's tough. And if you can't afford it, please message us. But if you can, please contribute because that's how we make this show happen. Uh, Jordan Zacharin, he runs the progressives everywhere. Newsletter, welcome back, Jordan. Uh, we have a president-elect. Lots have happened since we talked. Uh, I don't know. But, I think there was, there was a lot of voter fraud, right? I don't, I just, do we have a president-elect? I, I just heard that the New York Times investigated every state and didn't find anything. And Tucker Carlson also believes so. so you know, but that be, will not. <laughs> it's incredible that Democrats, they decided they're going to trick everyone and steal the election, but they're going to let Republicans keep the Senate and all the state house majorities. It was it's just real fun. Really smart. Yeah. It's smart, yeah. yeah. Um, so I wanted to. <laughs> it actually would be a democratic plot to just take one, just take one of them and lose the We're rest. Like we can only focus on one thing at a time. <laughs> right. We don't want to be only too... so much money we could take in. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to be too progressive, so we're going to let Republicans hold. It's like Andrew Cuomo. It's ex- actually exactly like yeah. that. They don't even need an IDC. They could just <laughs> trick all these people to run and fail. Yeah. Um, on that note, uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, refu- his refusal to acknowledge Biden's victory in the presidential election has sparked some uh, outrage. <laughs> Pompeo's promise of a, quote, smooth transition into a second term, uh, Trump term, I should say, disregards the will of millions of people who turned out to cast the vote for Biden. So here we go. (laughs) What's going on right now? I mean, this is like, what's the end game here? How long can they carry this out? When I feel like Mike Pompeo, the the countries that the United States is closest with right now do have dictatorships. So maybe, you know, he just really does admire it. You you know, he he does want to see Trump take the second term, you know, be a Kim Jong-un of of the United States. You know, the thing is like, I don't know what the end game is for Trump. I mean, I know the end game is for Trump. He wants to stay president. It's not going to happen. There's just no evidence of voter fraud. All the Republican, uh, you know, election officials say nothing happened um, unless they can convince people uh, in each state legislature to that are controlled by Republicans to give the electoral votes to Trump, despite Democrats winning. And I don't think it's going to happen. You know, I don't think they're going to take the election. What I do think is going to happen is that they're trying to create more and more uncertainty, more and more distrust with the system, delegitimize, you know, Biden from the beginning. They can't say that, you know, where's his birth certificate? We know he was born in Scranton. He made that very clear. We know that he was born in Scranton. Um, So they can't say that. But what they can do is, you know, delegitimize him in other ways. And, you know, that's why they don't have to work with him when he's in the Senate. They can say, oh, you know, he's not the real president. And they can do this for the next four years uh, until, you know, uh, they, they try and retake the White House. So it's just destabilization. It's trying to hope for them, I'm sure, come up with some, you know, have the Supreme Court or other courts create some you know, principles or, you know, create some rulings that say, oh, maybe the state legislature is the only one that can control elections going forward. So, uh, you know, I don't think most of them are doing it are doing it because they love Donald Trump. I think they're doing it because one, he's complaining and a whiner, and two, they can find a way to you know do more voter suppression in the meantime. You know, and, and it's it's interesting when they do things like this, there are opportunities for them, like you said, to, to do more voter suppression. Um, this is an exercise. They have a campaign account, uh, the Donald Trump campaign account, which does not have a lot of money, but they're raising into it to hire lawyers to basically experiment with their next voter suppression tactics, which arguments work, which ones don't. Yeah. Uh, ne- never let a good crisis go to waste. And then they also have this, this obnoxious a Republican who will say whatever. And so they're, they're also able to like exercise their worst messaging attacks ever that, you know, someone like a Marco Rubio couldn't do, but my <laughs> God, if they can get away with it and make it mainstream and, you know, they might do it with Kamala and say, you know, she's not, I, what are, that, that's, they're going to test it out. Um, I think it's an interesting point. Very smart. Yeah. You know, I think that like they, you know, ahead of time, the Supreme court said only state legislatures can, you know, 
deal with election laws. And so I think they're really trying to hammer that point home. And I think also a lot of them are just terrified of Trump, right? We saw David, David Perdue and uh, Kelly Loeffler, the senators from uh, Georgia, they're terrified that he's going to say anything bad about them. So they wrote that terribly written letter to the Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, saying, you got to resign. I guess you didn't do as much voter suppression as Brian Kemp. And there's no evidence of that, but they're afraid that uh, Trump's going to tweet something nasty about them or not come down and help get out the vote. So I will say that hopefully this creates a Republican civil war, you know, because, uh, you know, Trump's side, if he's mad at Republicans, you know, he doesn't want to help them out. We can see that. I, I don't see that happening. I think that they love having him do all the dirty work for them uh, and so that it's mainstreamed. I yeah. really think that's it. I mean, and of course, there's a Senate race, the two Senate races. That's, that's one thing, but I don't know how long they can drag this out for. I mean, this is, I don't see, do you see this going on for the next month, almost two months until the, uh, the, the Georgia primary? The Georgia, whatever, the, the, the runoff. runoff. Yeah, I can't imagine it happening because at some point, you know, Biden's team will talk about the transition does have to get in there. They do have to start, you know, changing the passwords and learning how the systems work. Oh, it'll be really easy because <laughs> yeah. their transition team is made up of a bunch of Google executives and tech executives. Right, that's true. Who will yeah. just be like, oh, we're so sorry. We locked you out. We just changed the security so many, codes. <laughs> so many people have been there before during the Obama administration, so they know their way around. But, that's true. Uh, <laughs> my they can literally that- shut down their accounts. <laughs> My, my, and also, you know, they all, none of them use, uh, you know, government email, right? You know, they're all using like, Jared Kushner and all them. <laughs> they weren't using secure email. I thought that was a big deal at some point. Um, but I thought they cared a lot about emails. Yeah, they really care about the security of Americans, American email. Trump using his Blackberry unsecured uh, tweet, whatever he wants. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, like, at some point, they're going to have to accept that Trump is not going to be president. And Trump is either going to have to accept it or throw a huge fit and bring down the Republican Party with him. I'm just I'm just being hopeful. You know, I'm just really ho- yeah. being hopeful that he burns it all down. Oh, I just think they don't they don't care about him. They'll no, let him, them embarrass. You know, he's embarrassing himself and it's great. And it'll be it'll be exciting to be done with him because he's such a, a, a devil to work with. But also, you know, he can exercise all of their their greatest imaginative like the, the the you know, Jeff Sessions, his imagination must be running wild right now <laughs> with all of the the voter suppression tactics that they can use. Well, you look at Jeff Sessions, it's actually a good example because Trump used him, used his early endorsement and then didn't like what he did. Push him aside, destroyed his political career. Yeah. career. No one's crying for Jeff Sessions, obviously, but it's sort of funny to see Trump his whole life using people and then tossing them aside, running over them whenever he doesn't need them anymore. Now Republicans are going to kind of do that to him. So uh, I'm not rooting for any, any side of it, but it is kind of nice to see Trump get his just rewards in that way. So fascinating. All right. uh, Let's switch topics. Uh, We have been here before. (laughs) That's our favorite one. Have we been here before? We've been here before. How do we push left left when big money and corporate interests are pushing right? In these times reported that one third of Biden's Pentagon transition team is funded by... The weapons industry, shocker. Three of the team members were most recently employed by the Center for Strategic and International Studies, which takes cash from Northrop Grumman, I can never say it, Lockheed Martin, and Raytheon. They need easier to say names. We do not need these people obviously leading the way on the international stage when it comes to to spending big government money or uh, public, you know, international welfare. Major problem. Um, How does Biden think he can get away with this? in this kind of era, like the, the, with the, the temperature that's out there right now in the Democratic Party, I, I just, it blows my mind that these folks think they can get away with this. 
Well, you're seeing assaults from all sides at the progressive side, right? You're seeing the centrists in the state, in the uh, House of Representatives, now in the Senate. Uh, Doug, Doug Jones is the one who said maybe it wasn't uh, progressive's fault. Who would have thought that? The guy from Alabama. Uh, you know, so you're seeing an attack on progressives from all sides. They're trying to kind of, you know, destroy them. They're trying to discredit them. And they're trying to say, we're the big, the big boys and girls in the party. And uh, we, we know what's right. You know, that, I think that's what we're seeing. And I'm not saying it's all coordinated because Democrats will never be that coordinated. But I will say that it's clear that that's what they're doing. You know, they had those unity commissions with Bernie Sanders, his campaign, and uh, this summer, like, you know, you're part of it. Oh, it was like, a different they, unity commission, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Sorry, I but, was on the um, other one. <laughs> it worked out well. Um, and, sure did. <laughs> you know, so they had all these policies. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, it was a, a, a tough time for uh, everybody the last bunch of years. It's okay. I got to know, um, I got to know uh, Kamala Harris's sister and I got to know uh, Joe Biden's campaign manager and looking back at it, I'm like, oh, those were the people running the commission that set the terms for the Democratic primary. They always knew. Yeah. Well, uh, we're stuck with them now. It's just a matter of how do we uh, how do we move forward with that? And again, it's we're in a bit of a war right now or a little uh, not not quite a civil war, but a a big battle between progressives and centrists and fighting over who was the worst. And I think that goes to the, the Biden, you know, cabinet that that makes a difference there, too, as well. They can discredit progressives and they can discredit uh, the complaints with the cabinet. That being said, there are a lot of people in the, in the uh, cabinet, the list of people who might join. There's a lot of people in the transition team that progressives should have a big objection to. You know, the one I'm looking at right now, uh, we want to see Bernie Sanders or someone from the left be the labor secretary, right? That's, that's really important, especially given mm-hmm. not having a Republican or having probably a Republican Senate, right? So a lot of rules are going to have to be changed. A lot of things are going to have to be done within the administration. And this guy, Seth Harris, who was yeah. one of the guys who created the template basically for Prop 22, which said, all right, you know, Uber, obviously in California, Prop 22, uh, they trick people into voting to take away benefits from Uber and Lyft drivers and other yeah. gig workers. And so that's a big one. You know, that's a big one that progressives are going to have to uh, really push back on. I don't know if he was on that list so that progressives do push back on that and they can put in someone moderate who they uh, know they'd rather have anyways. But I think progressives are going to have to pick their spots. You know, I think running around, you know, trying to stop every single person is going to be tough. I think to some degree there's people who, you know, especially on the transition team are involved because they have government experience, not necessarily for their ideology. But, uh, right. you know, I think there's going to be some battles that are chosen. You know, I think that, yeah. Well, it's interesting. So, you know, you have groups like Sunrise and, and Justice Democrats who are pushing for a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren as um, labor secretary, which I, I do not agree with that strategy at all. I think that's basically caging them in. Yeah. Um, you know, ask Robert Reich about his experience working in the Clinton administration, uh, Bill Clinton, who he knew since they were Rhodes Scholars. And he was even caged in. Yeah. Um, Keith Ellison as attorney general, I think, would be a, a, a brilliant move. Uh, you know, will that happen? Probably not, because Keith Ellison and the Obama administration did not uh, get along. And that's why it's important to know these dynamics, because, you know, there's where you have leverage is important, where there are pressure points. If there's a personality issue, if Obama specifically does not like Keith Ellison, which is why he he uh, got involved in that DNC race with him, you probably don't have a lot of leverage there. But there is a lot of leverage. In other, I mean, it is. I just think it's important for us to be exposing these names and talking about their backgrounds because it's embarrassing for Biden. Biden's about to walk into a spiraling downward economy, like the Great Depression level era economy, right? And his solution is gig, like not protecting workers. 
That's not how we got out of the Great Depression. So this just seems, I feel like we have to keep naming names, not necessarily saying who we want, but exposing who they are so that they're embarrassed not to use these, these like app sharing companies and securities companies. And I mean, this is just, this is embarrassing. I mean, it reflects really poorly on the Obama administration because there was a, such a revolving door between the Obama administration, yes. you know, and Silicon Valley. And so when you look at, all right, who are the, the experienced Democrats, people who have experience in the White House, experience in different cabinet places, different state governments, it ends up being all these tech industry people, all these finance people, all these people who work at JP Morgan and Capital One and, you know, Visa and, you know, Airbnb, Amazon, because they were the Democrats, that's where they went, right? After they all lost in 2016, that's where they ended up going. Maybe even before that, you know, there was such a, such a pipeline between Democrats and Silicon Valley, especially Uber and Airbnb and all those companies. And so it's, you know, a depressing that that's where the quote unquote talent is because Democrats for so long left the grassroots fallow. You know, we've been working, you've been working hard to have people rise up and take, be able to take those positions and have that experience. So it's, it, it's sad that that's the position we're in, right? I think that and you can't change that, but I think it should be mentioned and noticed that this is not just, you know, Biden's call. It's the Democratic Party's call for the last 20 years. I mean, you see, like I said, you see the way that yeah. they were reacting to any progressive ideas. Right. Any progressive ideas at all, you killed us. So this is what we were left with. And so, yeah, like you said, you have to expose those names, but also expose how this happened. Right. And it's, and it, you know, it did start, I, I think probably most notably, it started with the Clinton administration um, when he started, you know, he basically sold, not basically, he did, he sold off the Lincoln bedroom to, you know, to donors and for political interests. I mean, that's when this transactional type of politics started and the technocrats started to, to come in go read anything by Matt Stoller ever. And he's been on our show talking about it. Um, but the the weird part of this whole uh, influence in Silicon Valley is these executives at Silicon in Silicon Valley, the actual founders, the CEOs, the Mark Zuckerbergs, they're actually pretty libertarian. Yeah. These And they, they, they seized an opportunity to influence government and cozy up with the cool Obama administration, you know, his first term. Um, I think... I don't know. I mean, I just think it's, it's, it's extremely tone deaf and that is our leverage right now. The leverage that we have is not necessarily in making phone calls. I know with all due respect to all these organizations pressuring it's the leverage is exposing how tone deaf supposed working class Joe is in this moment when people are literally like Uber workers we're not protect Amazon workers. We're not protected in the middle of a pandemic. Like people know what Amazon is now. It's, this isn't this isn't 2008 when people were like, oh, Uber's kind of cool, or 2012 when Uber was like, okay, that's cool, yeah, it disrupts everything. It, the verdict's out. Like we know what these companies do. Not to mention, like they're seizing your data and spying on you. Hi, Zoom. Um, like, you know what? The, another issue is that. So here's another issue: the fact that like, so many Silicon Valley employees are progressive and they did vote for Democrats, right? So there's that element of like, there's this creative, smart class employees right employees exactly not founders there's just like creative the creative class is like college educated class the, the more higher education you have the more income you make you tend to be a democratic voter now that doesn't mean that you are a centrist or a moderate right that does not mean that you uh, want to you know have all schools be privatized it doesn't mean that you want you know gentrification everywhere but it ends up being that you know they i guess they equate that they say oh these are the affluent suburbs we're going to go with some moderate guys who work for banks so democrats get this message of saying oh our voters were are you know they were they, they were richer they had some more money they had some more incomes so we're going to go for 
for these go for these really boring picks, people who run the companies that a lot of these people work at. You know, a lot of people work at Facebook, a lot of engineers, what have you, Google. A lot of people work at these, you know, banks or Amazon who aren't necessarily terrible. They're not terrible people. They're regular Democratic voters, and they have values that are far more progressive than maybe the party thinks. And so I think that given the demographics of the party, they are going towards what they think that the base wants, which is not at all the case. I think, obviously, we're not going to win working class voters in any significant way. And if we continue to do this, and so Democrats continue to shoot themselves in the foot because they misunderstand who their base is and who their voters are. I just don't think they care. I think they have they have totally know that the base is working class and they just assume that there's going to be a certain percentage that shows up. But at the end of the day, it's not worth sabotaging these relationships and 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 the info. I mean, if, if this is looking the way it is, it seems like the the Biden administration is frankly, I think a setup for the Kamala administration, Kamala Harris administration. Um, and it is not just a revolving tour, a, a door. It is an actual influence. It's a, it's a, it's a, an administration that is there and influenced by some of the most uh, dangerous tech companies that, I mean, talk about monopolies, man. Which is remarkable you... is that, I mean, you know, there, there are some people coming in who have some experience helping, you know, with the you know, pushing against up, up against monopolies, Bill Baer, who's sure. in the FTC, yes. yeah. who's involved in the Apple lawsuit. So I think hopefully, you know, so weird how this yeah, right? I, I hope that, you know, they, especially with tech companies, you know, they see Republicans raging out against tech companies. There's no, there's no danger in raging out against Facebook, you know, unless you're pissing off, you know, your racist uncle, which no one cares about anyway. Democrats don't care about that. So I hope on the tech side, there's some acknowledgement of, look, we can't do the same thing we did before, not just because what they're Facebook and they're destroying advertising and destroying small companies and small tech companies. They're also really working hard against Democrats. You know, if they were, even if they were just cynically cynical and political, they would say, all right, why don't we uh, maybe rein in Facebook because the world's biggest disinformation machine and hurt so many of our candidates? Well, that's what's remarkable to me. Like they do not want, I understand like they want money. Do they not also want power? Why wouldn't you try to disable the thing as the most cynical that costs you so many elections? Because Jordan, um, the people who ran the elections are now running Uber and oh, they true. have not been paying attention to how elections work anymore. <laughs> Jordan Zachary, super interesting conversation. Oh my God. I'm, I was stewing this morning reading about this, which was my opener. So I'm glad that you're just as upset as I am and yes. I'm not the only one losing my mind. Um, all right. Well, I want to say, uh, give some shout outs to folks. You're, you're free to leave Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Today. Thank you. All right. Harvey K. Professor Harvey K. says, what did you expect? Nomi? DOD headed by Bernie Harvey. <laughs> All right. Special shout out to RY saying solar panels in the white house, 2021. Exactly. That's just one thing we need. Uh, Jules T says exactly. Nomi, the GOP will, will display solidarity until January 5th for Georgia race, then throw uh, Tang under the urinal. <laughs> All right. Thanks to everybody in the live chat, Professor Harvey K, especially, and MIDI doctors and Jules for working the algorithms and huge, huge, huge thanks to our moderators, Bob and Shokin, for keeping it real in that chat. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and join us on Patreon patreon.com slash the Nomi Keisha. Oh, special late super chat. Vinny Holiday says, I heard someone argue Biden didn't negatively affect down ballot votes because of the large margins he won by. What say you about this perspective? P.S. Your show is incredibly informative. Thank you. Informative. Thank you. Thank you, Vinny Holiday. Um, that he didn't negatively affect down ballot votes because of the large mar uh, margin he won by. He didn't win by a large margin in many 
of those states. They were actually pretty slim. Um, I have to look at the swing district. It's very complicated. I mean, I, I know that's not the right answer for you, but like if you look at a state like Arizona, um, some of the swing districts that have traditionally gone a little bit more Republican, he won them by a large margin. Um, but that might have to do with their their mail-in voting and, and sort of what's happening internally in the Republican Party there. Uh, I think I just think it's case by case. Um, and and the turnout was just so high. It's like like Florida and figure out what's going on. Um, like where Donna Shalala's district was like that was a really interesting one. You know, it's a Democrat plus five district. And she lost. Uh, she obviously was not progressive, but it's also not a super progressive district either. Um, so I'm curious. I'm going to have to take a look and see what it was, uh, that, you know, a little bit closer in the numbers. But I don't want to say it's too soon, but it's a little too soon. All right, guys, <laughs> I will see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. Be well. <laughs> <laughs>